final straw of the camel's back. It was about a month before Christmas, and I was very sort of like, you know, X number of calls I had to do. We spent an hour in the conference room, about eight people in the company, talking about who to give Christmas cards to. So is it people we've done business with before, people we're going to do business? <laughs> and I was sitting and I was like, come on, guys, let's go make some money. And I was like, I walked out of there and I just walked straight to my bosses. I said, like, I need to leave. I need to do my own thing. This is not a good year. Eight people, eight hours of work talking about Christmas cards. <laughs> that was just an example. I was like, I'm out of here. Hello and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Today, our guest is Ankesh Kumar. He has two very interesting startups going on at the same time. He's a co-founder and CEO playing double duty at Sharetivity and Slide. So we're going to ask about both those things, as well as juggling the CEO and co-founder calendar, because I find it hard enough to run one at the same time. So we're going to get maybe some some time management and productivity tips. But Ankesh, hello, welcome. Please introduce yourself uh, and your companies. I, I know you could do it better than me. Sure. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I can, my background, currently working, as you mentioned, on, on two startups, but I guess uh, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but uh, I, I was actually born in India um, and brought up in London. Uh, my dad actually worked for the airlines and uh, moved to London when I was three. So I did all my education, moved to Silicon Valley uh, God, close to 30 years ago. So I've been pretty much here in, 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 in the Bay Area. Uh, for that period, done numerous startups, which we can get into, and uh, um, and currently working, as you mentioned, on Sharetivity and Slide. Awesome. So tell us, just uh, so people know what those mm-hmm. two current businesses are, I guess, you know, who are, they, who are they and what do they serve, and, sure. you know, talk about those a little bit. So, so Sharetivity is in the, um, uh, put it in one word, it's research at scale. It's a B2B solution for salespeople for the ability to get all the information, you know, at the click of a button. Um, as salespeople, uh, you need to have information to make personalized outreach, make it relevant to the prospect, but that involves a lot of research. Uh, anyone who's done sales knows you have to go to Google, LinkedIn, SlideShare, uh, Company News, um, the website, and on and on and on. Uh, if you want to go deep, Twitter, uh, 10Ks, uh, shall I go on? <laughs> so there's a lot of data points you need to get and then find that the, the message that resonates with your prospects. So Sharetivity solves that. So you know, in one word, we do research on demand at scale. Um, so there's not that running around literally in seconds, you hit a button, it goes to all those places, brings it in and lets the sale, like a buffet, you can choose what you want uh, to, to, to use for your outreach. So that's uh, Sharetivity. Oh, good. Like sort of a personalization type of standpoint. That's a hot topic right now. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, people talk about personalization at scale. So, I mean, you know, I think to me, it's it's kind of like uh, there is an art and a science. I mean, you know, I, I did sales and when it was really an art, it was the ability of the gift of the gab. They used to talk about salespeople, you know, sell, sell you know, ice to Eskimos and that kind of stuff. But today it's just with the automation and everything and processes put into place and sales stack. So what we focus on is, is the, the grunt work, going and finding that stuff. But we wanted to leave the, the artistic bit to the salesperson to be able to craft the message in their own, with their own you know, personality and, and choose which topics. So that's why we sort of said, look, you're not going to automate everything and just hit a button, send out these numerous messages. Because I think uh, we all are salespeople, but we also get sold too. And we get frustrated when it says, I mean, I, I see them all the time. If someone hits me up again and says LinkedIn, oh, we have people in common, or you have a background in computer science, I just, I just don't even bother. So you have to be a little bit more um, creative in, in your sort of um, your outreach um, and messaging. Um, so that's where where Shiativity is um, sitting. And yeah, we plug into products like Outreach.io and Salesloft and Salesforce, so it's right there where the salesperson uh, needs it. Slide is is completely different. It's a B two C app. So we actually had it ready to launch April 2020, but something happened then, which... <laughs> we, I keep we, hearing that come yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'll tell you what, we call it a social experience app. Um, mm. And we had social distancing and social experiences and social distancing don't really mix and match. <laughs> right, um, right. So, so, you know, put it very simply, uh, what a social experience app means is, hey, you know, the happy hour with your buddies, ladies night out, going to Vegas... Uh, going to the wine country. So those impersonal social experiences, not your online Facebook and Twitter, which is kind of like, you know, I, the way I look at it, you might have a thousand Facebook friends, but how many of those do you actually meet for a coffee or a beer? You know, you share stories with and you, you go for a walk with or you know, to the Baylands or whatever, you know, go to Vegas with maybe 3% of those. And so there's not an application, you know, for example, functionality like wish lists, putting the experience together, reservations, um, sharing photos. So Slide is a B2C app for people to get together, have the impersonal social experiences. Um, and uh, we're, we're just going to reach actually in the process of relaunching it um, any day now. Well, yeah, you've perfect timing, as they often say in uh, entrepreneurship. Timing, timing is a, a big part of the, the luck involved there. I'm totally curious, like, how do you straddle the world in your own interest of B2B and, and B2C? You, you often find... Uh, a strict bifurcation in in that, and I'll say it myself. You know, I, I run the other way when people say B two C, but I, I love me a, a B two B startup. So, I mean, how, how do you how do you keep your brain straight on that? Is it is it just like your interests, or? Yeah, so the B two C the slide was actually more just sort of like meant to be a fun project. It wasn't meant to be you know initially a business. Uh, so, a friend of mine, hey, he said, let's do an Evite type app, you know, but make it more modern day and. We got chatting about it. And so something like an evite was just like a checklist. You know, I'm, I'm having my birthday party. I've sent out 100 invites and 30 people have said yes and 50 people said maybe, whatever. So that it was just a checklist. And I got thinking about it. And, you know, and it, we got on the call. He said, yeah, I'm looking forward to Friday. I mean, you know, I said it's Thursday today. We're doing this 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 podcast. And I asked myself the question, why do people love Fridays and hate Mondays? You know, what do we do over the weekend? Because we love that. And it's because we spend time with friends and family. Um, and so, you know, then got even deeper, what, what's the point of living? If you have that social connection, we all know this now with COVID. If you don't ha have that, it just sort of takes a part of us away. And it, it just blew my mind. There was nothing out there to help us sort of make that more uh, seamless, more fun. You know, having the banter and, hey, we're going to go to Vegas, make sure you get plenty of sleep because we're not going to be sleeping for three days and all that kind of stuff in one app. 
And I was like, hey, this just sounds like a fun project. And so it wasn't really kind of like a, a business. I mean, if something it comes to it, but it's something that it just I just felt emotionally, you know, involved with. Um, uh, so that's why we started to do it. Um, and you know, timing is is great. Actually, I think I can't wait to get it out because. I mean, the amount of reservations and bookings, I'm trying to book stuff in the summer and you just can't get anything. Every, everyone is just looking to, to, to get out now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get that. And that type of conversation and experience is spread all over 10 different apps and everybody has a different texting provider. And uh, what about this? And what about that? Nobody wants to share a spreadsheet, you know? So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, Correct. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And then from the sales perspective, you mentioned, you had that own experience yourself, I guess. So you're solving one of your own problems on the on the B2B side, the, the amazing amount of information you might need to to be a good sales uh, prospector mm -hmm. and be a good, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, you know, relationship seller. Right. You got to have access to all kinds of stuff there. So, so I mean, the backstory of that, I actually went to a conference to, a, I won't mention the company, but it's, it's, it's one of the big sales engagement platforms. So, um, and we were at this, you know, it was the night before the event started a couple of years ago. And, um, and there was, you know, we were having a glass of wine. And one of the, the guys who worked for that company saying, you know, telling the war stories. It's when salespeople get together, as you well know, everyone shares war stories. It's like, yeah, I emailed this guy 27 times because you can do that with these sales engagement platforms. You just set up a cadence or a sequence, bang, 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 it goes out. And the, the prospect finally responded and said, look, I'm going to just take a meeting so you don't, so you stop bugging me. And everyone had a good chuckle and a laugh about that. And I was like, man, put myself in that prospect's shoes. How painful. What's the likelihood they're actually going to buy? Um, and so I said, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And, you know, I got talking to people and everyone talked about, well, you know, colleges they went to, talk about something they were interested in. But the, the amount of work that was involved was just very painful. So that's how really where the idea, you know, percolated from and uh, came to fruition. Um, and and you know, it's, it keeps, it's, 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 you know, continuing to evolve. And I do feel we're a little bit early as people are talking about it, but actually implementing it. When I go to the real world and I see that, people aren't really doing it. Um, and, and, and I, you know, it's just because you're still able to hit your numbers the old traditional way by just, you know, raw, you know, brute force. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've all gotten, you know, the endless amounts of, you know, like you said, the LinkedIn invites that are mm -hmm. so clearly just, you know, some automated machine and tell <clears throat> LinkedIn itself is even cracking down on that mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, I mean, email can certainly be a great mechanism, but again, like it has to stand out, particularly too when you're selling to, you know, such a discerning mm -hmm. group of people. You know, we've uh, those of us that are a high target demographic, you know, founders, mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, goodness, we've seen it all, right? You know, and it's it's super difficult to to stand out. You know, I'll yeah. often have people. Uh, I'll even tell them, I, hey, I appreciate that you actually consumed my content. You know, right, if, they, right. if they'll go have gone out of their way and said, I actually watched some of your videos or listened to your podcast, uh, you know, it, it made an impression on me. That does stand out. And then, of course, you have all kinds of other data that could, mm -hmm. you know, inform the buying patterns. And a lot of the revenue intelligent types of platforms would would say, you know, oh, we can use AI and we can pull together, you know, the buying signals and all those things. I, I don't get involved in that, so I don't know if that's mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. true or, or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could you can drown in data and and probably, you probably help people with a lot of, you know, sort of uh, paralysis of you know, geez, there's just too much here. Right, right. I think um, I think there's, it's, you know, I think of myself is I think there's a two part process. I think 
you know, the personalization, it might sound a little corny, like say, hey, I see you in a Stanford, go cards, right? Yeah, or I see you had some, you know, did some volunteer work with, uh, uh, you know, with uh, Salvation Army or whatever. It might sound corny, but what you're indirectly doing is telling the prospect that you've actually taken the time to look at their profile. And people do pause for a second or a split second and say, oh, okay, that's different. So that's one thing that I've seen. So the other thing that I've seen what uh, the good salespeople do is on the other end, they're saying, look, I don't want to do the personal stuff. That's not relevant. What's relevant is what's the strategic imperatives of this company or that individual? What goals do they have to hit? And that's where the research, the real research, you know, looking at SlideShare, you know, listening to podcasts, um, um, reading articles that they might have written uh, and so on and so forth. That, that becomes really, you know, and to try to find those strategic imperatives, those initiatives that, 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 you know, that really sort of differentiate you and also gives, as a salesperson, the reason that you're reaching out. Because one of the things, as I think I mentioned, that frustrates me is like, oh, I see we have people in common. Well, fine. But if they actually say, and the ones I get all the time is SEO, animated videos, you know, um, and those kind of stuff. It's like, I was actually on your website. I noticed XYZ and this could have been better. And, you know, we do animated videos. And so if there's actually sort of like a dovetail into that, as opposed to just those cut and paste messages, you know, they, 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 they would get, you know, they get a higher response. But I think until uh, people see a declining response rate, they're not going to really make the effort to do too much. Yeah, absolutely. That's like quantity, not quality. And we need to flip the, the ratio kind of on that. And, and I get it. You know, I think a lot of our incentive systems are incorrectly built around mm-hmm. just just blasting people. And, you know, I, I think maybe there's a place for a little bit of brute force. <laughs> you know, you just have to right. do it. It's a numbers game, fill the funnel and all that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I resonate completely with what you're saying and particularly the more discerning buyer who is probably the big, big ticket buyer, you know, has seen it all done it all, you know, 30 years in business, that, that type of thing. It just like, that's the person you actually want to pay attention. Doesn't it make a lot more sense to do, you know, a quality outreach and to try to, you know, have something to really develop that, you know, personal relationship around people do business with their friends. They do people with the, they do business with people they like, so, yeah. Uh, tell me about your journey, you know, if you don't mind. Like, I mean, you've done a bunch of startups and one of my favorite things is, you know, lessons learned and speed bumps and things you wish you knew back then, major mistakes that turned into fantastic learning experiences. Those are my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll talk, okay. Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, I was, I was in London. Um, I was working and I, I, my cousin actually lived in San Jose. I came on vacation. I was like, man, I want to live here. So I actually went back to college because, um, you know, to get a, a work permit, uh, an H-1 visa, you had to have something that a U.S. employer would have. And my undergraduate, funnily enough, was actually in hotel and catering management, which had nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. And then I did an MBA. Um, so I went back to college and did a master's in information technology. And it was just to get a, a visa. And actually, I came out here on vacation around 89, um, which was uh, around the time of the first Iraqi war. And the economy was really in the toilet. So me and my buddies, we actually just did the whole tour from San Francisco right down to Tijuana, Santa Barbara on the way, Vegas, and and so on and so forth. And then like after after Christmas, I said, okay, I need to get a job. So we were staying. This, these are the days before cell phones. I was staying in San Francisco. I'd get a roll of quarters, and yeah, as you said, brute force, just dialing and dialing. And I finally got a a, a job in San Jose working for a recruitment company, which was eight hundred dollars a month recoverable draw. What that meant is any commission I made, I had to pay back and pay back. Uh, 
the money. But man, I was single. I had no responsibilities in England. I was like, why not? I can live in California. And so but there was a big question. Uh, they asked me, what about your work permit? I said, well, I'm a British citizen. It should be easy. Not a problem uh, to do that. And, um, and, and I said, actually, I'm, I'm actually you know, dating an American girl with, and we're planning to get married so I can get a visa through her, um, you know, like a green card through her. They're like, okay, cool. So by the time I got my third interview, I said, by the way, I was thinking I don't want to get married just to do this. An H1 visa is 800 bucks. I'll pay for it, you know. And they're like, oh, sure. So that's how I got my work permit. So I worked for this company for about 18 months. And, oh, man, it was, yeah, it was tough. Because, you know, you get $10,000 deals and you take 50% commission, but you have to do that month in, month out. You know, otherwise you weren't eating. I'd go for the $2 buffets at the Red Lion and spend $20 on beer and $2 on food. So <laughs> the, the, the fun days of being single and, uh, you know. Um, and then I, I, I actually sort of uh, noticed at that time a lot of influx of uh, programmers from India using the B1 visa. So I, I, I talked to a few people about starting a business on that and one company in San Mateo. They were doing about, it's a small company, boutique company, doing about $2 million in revenue a year. So anyway, long story short, I went there, uh, did double their revenue to $4 million, which was meaningful for a sole operator. Um, you know, for, for his EBITs, you know, doubled. Uh, and, um, you know, he sort of didn't want to share any of that with me. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll give you some equity and never did. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to just do my own thing. So I started my own IT staffing firm uh, around 92, 93. And we did 1 million, 5 million, actually 1, 8, 16, 24. So in four years, we were doing um, 24 million, 10% EBIT. So we were generating about two, over 2 million EBIT um, back, you know, in the 90s. So that was a lot of money, um, you know, that we were generating. A year after I started that business, I started a software company called Personic, which is in the applicant tracking space with a friend of mine. And so I was doing uh, the double entrepreneurship then as well. And then we did, you know, one, five, 15, 20. We raised about 15 million in venture funding. And, and actually the, the, the investors say, look, you need to exit the other company, give it someone to run it or sell it. So we, that's why we ended up selling the other company because they wouldn't invest otherwise. So they gave me about a year to do that. So... So then I focused on Sonic. We actually filed to go public around 2000, uh, but the market turned. So we ended up selling the company and um, to a company called Kronos. Uh, I think they're still around. And um, so then I took a little time off. I had two, two young daughters and I started just doing my own little ventures, investing in my own companies. Did a company called AppMail, which we had companies like Siebel and Business Objects using that. It was actually for time off management. I actually had this idea about... Um, might sound familiar to the audience uh, about sharing as a page ranking mechanism, a very simple concept that means more people share a page, uh, it indicates page popularity. And um, a year later, Facebook uh, launched the like button. And so we had a patent on that and uh, Google ended up buying the, uh, the patent and incorporating it into their search algorithm. And so then, you know, so I've, I've been doing these, doing some private investment um, and then, and so kind of like more recently, uh, we've been talking about shareativity and uh, slides. So that's kind of like where I'm at um, right now. I don't know if I've given any sort of uh, tips on lessons learned. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it does sound like you had a lot of fun though. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I never took it seriously. I think that, you know, being, I guess, a Silicon Valley veteran now, I, and I've noticed the change here. People take it very seriously. It's like, I see these 20 year old kids. I want to be a billionaire. I want to, you know, by the time I'm 30 and stuff. And I think the more pressure you put on you, yourself, you know, um, you know, I, I, I sort of always sort of like think that's sort of self-defeating. I think you just have to focus every day on sort of like executing. So one of my favorite sayings is think strategic. Yeah, you might have that objective, but act tactically. What are you going to today? How many phone calls are you going to make? 
what's your objectives? And I would literally have this mental check at, at five o'clock or whatever time I'm leaving the office. And did I achieve what I want to do? And if not, why not? Also, you know, you know one of the things I think the techniques I use for um, if something's not working, you know, instead of keep doing it, and this sounds obvious, right? You know, the definition of madness, keep doing something that uh, you get the same result. But I, I really sort of like, I'm very um, diligent with that. And and so I sort of like take a step back. I'll go for a walk, you know, I'll go work out or something like that and just come back to it a day or two later and typically come back with better eyes. So I, I don't honestly work that hard. And, and that sounds sounds bad, but I, you know, I literally do 20, 30 hours a week. Uh, but I, the hours I do work, I'm pretty focused. But, yeah, that being said, you know what it's like as a startup guy, you know, you're in the shower, you're thinking, I mean, I'm getting up at six and, you know, the calls in India and stuff. So, but I don't feel that I work I work kind of like over it because if I'm working too hard and there's something wrong, you know, you're not doing something correct. If you can, if there's something that's taking up a lot of time, find a better way to do it or get someone to do it, outsource it. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We were doing topic extraction, some AI tool that we're, we're building right now. And I was like, man, can we just do this more efficiently? Just ask some questions of the developers, like take out noise words, you know, like the and they go, oh yeah, we could do that. And how about topics we extracted, exclude those. And then we started thinking about it and it just was much more efficient. So you know, you just have to keep questioning yourself. Are you, are you doing the right things at the right time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get that. And I love the calmness to the way you're like, you, you aren't taking it too seriously. And that probably clears like an enormous amount of mental clutter. You know, you, you hang out with the, you know, the full-time sort of crazy grind it out 10x, you know, sort of hustle culture and all this stuff. And you just, at least me, I take away a ton of angst from that. And I just think, you know, like, is this really that hard? Like, are we talking about work? Or are we just executing and, you know, kind of doing some work and then going on our way? And, and you're right, that thinking pattern happens all the time. People, it, it cracks me up because I'll have looked back at my 13, 14 years ago and, you know, all the things I thought I was doing real work on. And now, you know, I'm just like, wow, that idea in the shower paid off a lot more than those six days slamming you know, late nights at the whiteboard. Yeah, and I kind of like um, in a fortunate situation because like in sales, right, you're selling, if you're working, whatever, selling a car or selling some, you know, B2B software, you've got a product and you have to sell it and you've got competition and everything else, you go for this. I sort of like, um, I want to build something that, you know, that sells itself, that you know, builds something that people want to buy. And so you keep iterating through the product until someone says, oh, when can I have it, Right. You know, it's, it's, it's got pre-orders and everything. And if, if, if you're not getting that at the early stage that you're at, then you're doing something wrong. Um, and, and before you even take it to market. So that's kind of like, I guess, why, you know, get the product to market fit correct. And then just it, it, it should sell itself because people will say to you, right, if you could do this, then I'll buy it. And so that's the bit I kind of like really love. And, and then when you're in a place that people are lining up to buy it, it just becomes a lot easier. And the key to doing that is having a long enough runway um, as an entrepreneur. So one thing, you know, especially people ask me for investments in their companies, one, one of the major questions, what's your runway? How long are you going to be in business before you need to raise more money? Because if you can't survive, and so I've taken a very, uh, you know, stealth, not stealth is the wrong word, a very um, um, you know, budgetary, you know, my, my brain's freezing, but, you know, kind of like a very conservative approach to how I spend money and what I'm going to spend money until I get the product to market fit. But then when you do, like a running back in a football game, you do find a hole, you hit it hard, then you start getting crazy okay how many calls can we make how many people can we get going so actually with both the products i'm actually got a couple of launches and i i've you know i've really got it lined up a number of emails i'm going to send and you know literally I, if i wake up early and i just can't sleep even at night or in the morning i'm just sending emails out making phone calls so you've got to you know you've got to work hard you've got to hustle 
Um, but you've got to you've got to have enough of your runway to make sure that you get to the point that you can do that. And so I just want to go to that part. Like you're you're the founder, you're the CEO. You've been there. You've done that. You've made money, and you're gonna get up in the morning and start slamming phone calls and emails for your new startup. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like you know, you don't you're you sort of talked about it from the standpoint of well, if you don't like doing a thing, you're not good at a thing. Hire somebody else to do it. But you must really love selling your stuff because that that sounds like a labor of love there. Yeah, well, I mean, think about if you if you've conceived of something, it's almost like you know people have used this analogy many times. It's like your child, right? You, you've had this thought, and you've spent months in building it, and then you're really passionate about it. It's not selling. It's like you almost, and you know, I used to tell my sales guys this. You almost like. You're trying to educate someone why you love it so much. You're evangelizing and you're like, man, you know, I know you're really busy. I know you're getting a lot of calls, but you need to take, take a couple of seconds and, and, you know, you're missing out. And if you really feel that you're doing someone a favor, you know, not in the sense, you know, uh, in, you know, you're sort of like being a buddy or anything like that, but you really feel that their life would be better if they knew about this, then it's not hard work. Then it's like, you know, and if someone does slam the phone down to you or sort of send you a nasty email back, it's like, hey, it's okay. You know, wish have a, have a nice day and stuff. But, you know, so to me, it's like I really feel excited about it. And I feel like, oh my god, you know, um, you know, like with the slide for the, the receptionist in my office, I was, I was like so excited when I was playing with it. I want to get a coffee. And I told her she was like, oh, can I download it? And it was just so nice to see that people were were, were loving, it. and that gives you sort of the energy and excitement. So the motivation is there is just sort of um, sharing the passion you've got. And that you, you don't look at the result. You don't think, oh, you know, X number of downloads or the exit strategy. What's the money? I mean, you know, you are thinking monetization. You have to because you've got to stay in business. So you've got some ideas around, you know, both of these. And But that's not, you know, the, the short-term goal. The short-term goal is to, you know, to, is to build up an initial base of uh, passionate, um, um, you know, customers and, and people, that, um, groups that like it. And, and that then it will sell itself. And do you think that disposition uh, 30 years in is different than what you had, you know, before? Like, do you look back and think that's new and informed or, you know, like wisdom over time? Like if you talk back to your younger self that was that was hustling, was it the same? Like, has that been a, a life sort of direction or did you kind of get there from the work? Well, you know, the funny thing is, right, the only software company I've ever worked for is a software company I've, I've run and owned. I've never worked for an Oracle or an SAP and then gone and done something. And so the point being is when I worked for my software company, I was passionate about the product I was building. So it was always building. So it was always there. For the other company, for the IT services company, it, it's a services business, right? So if I, if I say to, you know, I was one of my favorite sales lines, look, I can talk all day, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, give me a give me a tough job that you've got to fill right now, and I'll execute. And so, once you've given that commitment commitment to someone, you have to hustle. So that was always there, you know, and and, and it's still there. But once you look someone in the eye and say, you know, you know, just trust me. And I remember going to Wells Fargo was one of my big customers. They were doing about three million a year with us. We started with one one job order, um, and it was just that there was a guy called Bill Wood, uh, and I said, hey, Bill, look. Give me one position. If I can prove it, then then we'll we'll do more business. So, you know, when someone does that, then you really have to kind of like you know go for it. So, you know, you you know, as you said earlier, you know, this relationship building and 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 you have to have a, a combination of that. You have the passion. You have to prove that you can uh, prove that you can do it. I would just say, if any lessons learned, if you're not enjoying what you're selling or don't feel it's a good product, find something that you you know, um, even if it's another job or a business that you do feel passion uh, passionate about, because that's going to come across to who you're selling to. 
or even a company that you work for, there's no point, life's too short to sort of work in a place that, um, you know, you don't want to be. Um, and uh, I remember actually when I left my, the guy I was working for, the actual final straw of the camel's back, it was about a month before Christmas. And I was very sort of like, you know, X number of calls I had to do. We spent an hour in the conference room, about eight people in the company, talking about who to give Christmas cards to. So is it people we've done business with before, people we're going to do business? <laughs> and I was sitting and I was like, come on, guys, let's go make some money. And I was like, I walked out of there and I just walked straight to my boss's office. I need to leave. I need to do my own thing. This is not a good year. Eight people, eight hours of work talking about Christmas cards. <laughs> that was just an example. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Right, right. Yeah, and it gets back to that, that sort of discipline of execution. That um, I suppose when you, you do your own thing all the time, too, that you just care more. Yeah, you know, it's, sure. it's, a, it's a hell of a lot more motivating to make your own money, even if it takes a little bit of time mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to do that. I talk to a lot of founders that are not as enthusiastic about the selling. They want to be product founders, technical founders, you know, things of that nature. And they don't have that selling disposition and never wanted it. And I, I'm just curious what your, what do you, how do you handle those types of things? You probably get hit up for investment money for, you know, technical mm -hmm. founders all the time who have no discernible, uh, you know, strategy for actually making revenue. I, I mean, I, 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 I very unreally do not take a request. If, if there was like some founder, hey, can I get 20 minutes of time? I mean, I can't remember a time that I've like said no. Um, and, and I'd give them honest feedback. I'd just say, I just don't get it. Maybe I can introduce someone in my network if it's a fintech product that I know who does this or so oh, I, I, let me, I, maybe I won't make an intro. So let me run it by someone and kind of like I just send a, shoot a quick email and then give them the feedback if I don't know about it. But if it's just general information about, you know, getting started and, you know, incorporating, getting some patent protection and stuff like that, then, you know, happy to sort of always help people, you know, and, and, you know, and give back. Um, happy to mentor people or whatever, whenever they need. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to be honest and truthful with people and just tell them where it's at. You know, and just say, look, this is one man's advice, even if you don't like it, you know, take four or five people and come to you know, an informed decision. Yeah, mentor whiplash, right? You know, right, right. <laughs> everybody has an opinion. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when you're doing the the mentorship, you know, of a, of a company, what are what are some of the major things? Like, if, could you put your finger on you know, just sort of things that people should check the box on, you know, from that combined mentoring experience, like what do you see that they need? You know, the number one thing people need is support, right? That, you know, so take a, take a scenario of a startup CEO, right? As one company I invested in, and the guy is actually a solid CEO. The company's about a couple of hundred employees now. I met him when he was just sort of like a one-man shop. And this is true for pretty much every company I've been involved with. So he's got this uh, situation um, where obviously they've got like now 150, 200 employees that he has to sound upbeat. Yeah, we're going to rock the world. Yeah, we're going to do a partnership with JP Morgan Chase or with Citibank or whoever, right? And um, things are going great and we're going to be this company in five years' time. And, and then, you know, he's got his executive team that he's also... Then on the other end, on the top, he's got his investors. How's things going? Things are great. You know, I just hired a bunch of people. So where does, where, where does he go for his outlet? You know, oh, my VP of sales sucks. I need to kind of like get a new VP of sales in. Or, you know, we just lost this deal and I can't tell my employees. I'm like, you know, like I can't. Because even if the executive team are down, you got to be like, it's fine. We're going to get another deal. Like, let's put a plan together. Go on the whiteboard. You know, what's plan A, plan B, plan C? Go to the investors. 
So they really don't have a place to vent or just, uh, you know. So I think as a, what I've noticed that my number one role is just to listen. It's almost like a therapist is like, you know, I meet him for a coffee once a quarter and go for a walk, have a coffee. How's it going? Talk about his personal life for a bit, you know. I mean, you know, um, tell me about the situation at home and stuff that's going on with the family and pressure going on there, you know, with parents and wife or whatever else. And, you know, people just want to talk and, you know, they don't get what I'm doing and the amount of travel I have to do and stuff. And, you know, some investor was really obnoxious and, you know, trying to screw me on some shares and stuff. So I think 80% of it is just listening and just sort of asking good questions. And it's amazing how uh, how better they, they sound, but they just don't have an outlet to... Uh, um, and CEOs and founders. So I think that's been the, the biggest uh, thing I've noticed. You know, technical stuff with us, um, you know, legal st- documentation, you know, so many resources you can get, or, you know, technical, you know, um, IT stuff, or there's AI, or there's people out there that can do that. But just being able to listen and understand and being in, the, being in their shoes. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's awesome to hear you say that because I think there's this, you know, sort of myth that being a, a startup CEO is is totally awesome, and you know that it's it's not lonely, and and I think that's starting to come apart. That those people have nowhere to go, and the psychological stress of being in that sea with with no one to talk to. You can't expose the negativity uh, without bringing down your investment, without bringing down your team. So you know, kudos to you for for doing that. I don't know a lot of people that step up and you know fill that role. Yeah, no, I like doing it. And actually, for me, I didn't really have a mentor. I just had a, I just had a lot of beer. That sort of worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> Mentors who buy beer are even better. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, yeah, right. yeah, that's awesome. Though. Well, put uh, before we wrap, you know, I don't know, put your futurist hat on. You know, what are you seeing? Uh, there's a lot of people that listen to our show that kind of think, what's next? You know, and I always like to to get that input, uh, especially for someone that spends enough time doing walking and thinking like you do. So. Well, actually, we've got a project. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but I think that you know what we talked about with Shareativity is actually getting all these different signals from you know whether it's 10Qs or SlideShare or LinkedIn and Google, etc. But one of the things, and we're on this podcast today, is audio and video, right? Yeah, YouTube's big, podcasts are big, um, and um, you're probably familiar with things like Clubhouse. LinkedIn's doing his version of Clubhouse, and there's Twitter and, and Facebook. So one project that we're actually working on that we think is going to be big is audio. Um, and uh, we're launching something called Audio Signals. So if you're a B2B salesperson you know, and you're targeting an account, you, know, you need to listen to the podcast to find those buying signals. I mean, there's probably a bunch of buying signals now. Someone listening to this podcast, if they want to reach out to me and say, Ankish, I remember you sort of like um, talking about uh, mentorship and, uh, and, and drinking beer and stuff like that. And I, I would respond, right? But to listen to half an hour podcast is painful. So uh, I think audio is going to be big. Going back to your question, and that's something that we sort of in, we got in the in the in the skunk works and using AI to analyze podcasts for B two B salespeople. Oh God bless! I I want to know all about this. So we're <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be all over this since being in the B two B podcast business. That sounds like a good thing. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll put very, you on my to do cool. list. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll have to come back for part two about about that. We can run it on ourselves and see if uh, if see if it's accurate. See if it so. works, right? <laughs> <laughs> the training set of of completely insane entrepreneurs. So <laughs> that's exciting. Good stuff, man. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. You know, I I love talking to experienced founders who have you know kind of been there and 
and done that. And and I I'll say thank you to everybody that you're mentoring. And you know, I I totally get it, and I think that's really valuable. So it's it's good of you to put your your time you know back to use that way and running two companies at the same time. So man, you got it you got it going on. The beer must really be working. So I just want to say congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.